Take your Bibles this morning and go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Where you're going to finish off the last part of the, of the last book of the Old Testament. The last book of the first two big sections in your Bible. Your, divi- your Bible is divided not into even sections. It's divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the uh, Old Testament is probably about three quarters of the Bible. And the New Testament is about a quarter of the Bible. But we want to just look at the very end of that today. And uh, just mark that fact. The fact that it is the end of a, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is significant. These are the last words of the Old Testament. These are the last words of God through the prophet to his people. Historically and chronologically, over 400 years pass after this before God will speak again through an angel announcing the impending arrival of Jesus. So just follow along as I read this morning from chapter 3, verse 16, through to the end of Malachi 4. Malachi 3, verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great an awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Thus end the words of the Old Testament, and we praise God that he has spoken through his perfect word. This passage, you notice talks about a day. It's a big day. Have you ever looked forward to the big day? When people get engaged to be married, they look forward to the big day. People will ask them, when is the big day? We celebrated one of those big days here yesterday for Cody and Jessica. Sometimes the projected arrival date of a baby is the big day. We also celebrated that particular big day on Friday for Pastor Andrew and Shelley, that big day that came a little bit earlier than the projected big day. And we're anticipating another big day 
possibly coming up this week, maybe. For children especially, we can heighten the anticipation and excitement by talking about their birthday as the big day. As adults, it's usually birthdays with round numbers that people call the big day, and sometimes they are cause for celebration, other times not so much, as it is for me on this day. (laughs) Everything was going good until Marlissa came into our music room and said, Happy birthday, Pastor Dan. When is the big day? Well, this passage in Malachi also looks forward to a day. It looks forward to a future day. It mentions this day in this passage five times. You see it there in, verse, in chapter 3 already in verse 17. Then over in chapter 4, you see it in verse 1 two times. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 3, and in chapter 4, verse 5. There it's called the day of the Lord. For some, this day will be a great day. For others, it will be a dreadful day. As to the question of when is this particular big day, the answer is only the Lord knows. But in these last words of the Old Covenant, God wants to hear, assure his people that we can anticipate the big day. He wants to assure God's people that we can anticipate a big day. Now, like I said, these are the last words that God would reveal for 400-some years. And knowing that, he wanted to give people something to remember. Since no prophets would speak God's words, was there anything that they could hold on to while they waited for God to reveal himself again? The next time would be in spectacular fashion in those events we now celebrate as the Christmas story. What would he want them to remember that would serve to keep these generations of people hopeful until Jesus comes? Well, what I read were those last words of God through the prophets. The next time he would speak, it would be through his son. Well, we're going to see in these words that they are very memorable. They are encouraging, they are helpful. They are actually filled with hope for the people of God, and they are also filled with warnings for those who are without God. These are appropriate words for us to consider today, too, because we are also living in an in-between time, are we not? We also wait. We also wait for the big day. Only we've already heard from Jesus. But now we await his second coming. And so for us, the question would be the same. What can we hold on to as we wait for the big day? What can we expect from God? What is God doing for us as we wait? What can keep our anticipation heightened? Well, these last words here at the end of Malachi are filled with hope. Hope for those who belong to God. That's what these last words hold out for us. They hold out hope for those upon whom God has set his love. They hold out hope for his children. They set out hope for those, in the words of Malachi 3, verse 16, those who feared the Lord. From God's vantage point, there's a separation of people that's going on here. There are those who fear the Lord, and there are, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 5, those who do not fear me. Those who fear the Lord those who do not fear the Lord. You see it again in 
In chapter 3, verse 18, there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one here, it says, the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. It's those who fear God, those who follow God, those who serve God. It's those to whom He holds out this hope. In God's eyes, there is a clear separation. But in our eyes, it's still not quite so clear. As we live here in this world, the righteous and the wicked exist together. They coexist. We work amongst each other. We conduct business amongst each other. We go to school amongst each other. We play amongst each other. We live in communities amongst each other. We rub shoulders with each other. We live among people who do not serve God and who do not fear God. And so, God wants to encourage His people, His people, until He comes. And here at the end of Malachi, He aims to give them something to hold on to before Christ. He wants to ensure them that He's coming. But in the meantime, God wants to assure His people that He's there for them. And in these few verses, these few very significant verses, He just piles on a number of good things that he provides to his people while they wait. And I saw at least ten of them. And you're thinking to yourself, Sudfeld, you go long enough with a two-point sermon. What are you going to do with a ten-point sermon? But I'm just going to go through them, I promise, in rapid fire. Before I do, I know that we're included in this while we wait, because I was struck by the similarities between these last two words in Malachi and these last words from God that we have, the words that that Marvin read from us from Revelation 22. And I was just going to show you those, um, but maybe you can do this on your own this afternoon. Just know, so go to Malachi 3 and 4 and compare it with Revelation 22, and you'll see lots of similarities and and, and similar words. God ends one covenant and he uh, ends the other covenant. But just know that God rings the same tone at the end of the Old Testament and at the end of the New Testament. This not only shows the, the unmistakable beauty and symmetry and harmony of the Bible, but it also shows how God graciously provides for His people and how God will make all things right. The people in the Old Testament could hold out that hope, and we can now hold out that hope as well. The promises at the end of Malachi for God's people, for Israel, are the same promises that God leaves for us at the end of Revelation. The point is, for all those who fear the Lord, God is for us. He will make all things right, but in the meantime, He already gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even though we still live in this world, even though the righteous still live with the wicked, God has provided us with everything we need to be faithful to Him while we yet live here and while we wait for the big day when Jesus returns. So, what can those who fear the Lord expect from God while they wait for His coming in order to stay true to Him? What has He given His people? Let's start from the top. First thing He has given us is one another. The New Testament is full of commands. We, we all, I've even done, I think, a series, maybe in Sunday school, on the one another's of the New Testament. So the New Testament is full of those commands on how we're supposed to treat one another in the church. But here's a preview of that from the Old Testament. 
Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Before that, God had confronted the the, the people who had spoken hard words against him. Listen, the world is filled with people that have wrong perceptions of God or outright speak against God. Almost everyone, it seems, uses the Lord's name in vain these days without even giving it a second thought. You see it in their words, you see it on social media, you see it in little acronyms. That's the kind of world we live in. There is no fear of God. Yet, God gives us one another. He gives us the church. I said before how we can't help but rub shoulders with the world. The ungodly are all around us, but there is one place that we can expect to go where we primarily rub shoulders with the godly. And that place is the church. The church is a refuge. The church is a haven. That's why it's important that we make it a priority to meet with the Lord's people every Lord's Day at the very least. The Lord's Day is a minuscule preview of the big day that is to come when all the elect will be gathered around the throne of God. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. So as opposed to those who use God's name carelessly and irreverently, the Lord's people, when they gather together, worship God. They prize God. They cherish God. Hebrews 10 says it this way, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but listen, encouraging one another and all the more. As you see what? As you see the day approaching. And look how the Lord responds when God's people speak this way to one another. This is number two. Still in chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord paid attention and heard them. When God's people get together, God is there. Right? Two or three are gathered. There I am also. And not only is he there, but God pays attention to our conversations whenever it is that believers get together to talk together about him or to pray together, to pray to him, to study him, to sing about him. Ephesians 5.19, remember it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your heart. Not only does God pay attention and hear God's people when they speak with one another, it says here that a book of remembrance was written before him. That's number three. Now, God doesn't need to get things into a book for him to remember. It's not like us who need a day timer to try to figure out what we need, what we need to do next. He doesn't need to do that to remember what we say about him. But this way, this is sort of a way of words of saying, of him assuring us that when we speak to one another as fellow believers, God takes note of those conversations. He takes note of those conversations. None of those kinds of conversations are forgotten. They're put into a book of remembrance. Facebook posts, tweets, updates are mostly forgotten in about a day or two. They don't have a long shelf life. But conversations about God are written in a book of remembrance. Fellowship with fellow believers is a great blessing from God 
while we yet live in a godless world. Pursue this kind of fellowship. It is a sweet fellowship. Don't take it for granted. Blessing number four, look at verse 17. In speaking about those who feared, and the feared really is the name for reverence here, for respect, those who feared my name, God says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. In the day when God gathers up those things, those jewels that are the highest treasure to him, he will say, they shall be mine. Those are amazing words. If you're a Christian, you can serve God, come what may, because you already belong to him, and one day he will take you to be with him where you will be his treasured possession. It's a great thing to remember while we wait for the big day. And as Philippians says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Still remember Valentine's cards that said things like, Will you be mine? Remember those? What does that even mean for a five-year-old? You know? <laughs> but I can't imagine anything better than the mighty creator God declaring to all his people, They shall be mine. They belong to me. I will take them all together to be my treasured possession. Number five, end of verse 17, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves me. He's still talking here about those who feared the Lord. He's still talking about God's people and he says, I will spare them. Spare them from what? He will spare his people from what's justly coming to the ungodly and what is justly coming for everyone. This day of the Lord when when the scalding hot judgment of God comes down on that day, God will spare his people. The separation that is now for us a little bit murky is going to get abundantly clear. And we'll also see clearly that the only reason that we don't receive that judgment is exactly and precisely because God has spared us. Another name for that is mercy. God sparing us from what we deserve. In verse 18, he simply says that we will see that distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't. It'll be very clear on that day that you have been spared from what is coming for the wicked. The fact that God will spare us is a motivation to keep serving him as we wait for the big day. That's half of them. Now skip down a little bit to chapter 4, verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1. He goes back to address you who fear my name. He makes it personal now. Did you notice that? Changes from those who fear my name to you who fear my name. If you have been saved, if you have been spared from, what God's, from God's wrath and you give your reverence and you give your worship to God, he's talking directly to you now. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So just note in verse 1, you just sort of scan through that. He was talking there about intense heat that's going to consume everything and everyone. But here in verse 2, and this is number 6, you have that same heat, only this sun comes with healing in its wings. Healing in its 
in its sunbeams. What for the wicked will be like will burn like an oven, will for the righteous bring comfort and healing. It's almost like God insulates his people from the intensity of the heat of the sun while he exposes the ungodly at the same time. The difference is that this is the sun of righteousness. It's righteousness, you see, that makes all the difference. The Son is a reference to God in the person of Jesus. The S-U-N is the S-O-N. For this original audience there in Malachi, Jesus was still coming. And he would come and die, the righteous for the unrighteous. This would, would give them great hope as they waited. But for us, Jesus has already come. And he has already died. And through his death on the cross, well, listen to the way 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it, for our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God if you can fathom that. We have no righteousness with which to commend ourselves but through God God in his kindness and in his mercy takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it onto us. While at the same, where at the same time he took our, the penalty that we deserved and placed it onto his son. Or Romans three twenty one to twenty two. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God comes to us by faith. This has already happened. Praise God. He has declared us righteous through faith in the Son. But now, as believers, we wait for the sun to rise again. And for us, we can live and we can serve knowing that when he comes, he will bring with him final healing from the presence of sin. Right now, we're still kind of stuck in the world. We experience the effects of sin, both from within and from from without, from, from the outside world. That way, we're kind of like calves stuck in a stall. But look at the end of verse 2. This is number 7. When the big day comes, it says, You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. The restraints of this world are removed at that time. Suffering, hardship, persecution, the, the, the physical effects of living in a fallen world. But when that's over, it's all freedom. And all joy. Let's keep going. Verse 3. You shall tread down the wicked, and they will be like ashes under your feet. That's number 8. This is God's answer, especially to those who are oppressed by the wicked. Those who are trampled on. God says there's going to be a total 180 degree reversal. Right now we live among the wicked, and we observe that the godless and the We observe the God-opposing agenda of the wicked, and it seems to us to be prevailing. seems like it's winning. And especially against Christianity, oppression is increasing. But just kind of staying with the heat metaphor, we don't really need to sweat it too much. 
as we observe what's going on, as we're concerned, as we pray, even as we're persecuted or oppressed, if, probably should say when, it comes to that, we can go on living faithfully knowing that one day the roles will be reversed. We'll trample on their ashes. And two more, number nine there in verses four and five, while we wait, we have with us the invaluable presence of God's word to guide us and to lead us. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses. Here in Malachi, he's saying, the prophets will be silent after this, but you still have the law of Moses. You still have your Bible. Remember it. Take it up. Read it. Know it. Obey it. Don't put it away. Remember it. Brother and sister Christians, your Bible is of inestimable and incalculable value while you wait. Remember it. It guides you, shows you how to live as God's people in God's way. Finally, number 10, we can press on in hope knowing that on the big day, there is going to be a mass reconciliation and repentance, a turning that's going to happen. Talks there about Elijah the prophet. The prophets will be silent, but another Elijah is coming. John the Baptist, Luke 1 says, would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. In one place, in Matthew 17, Jesus referred to himself as a type of Elijah. But then he also said in that same place that Elijah will come and restore all things. So this is talking ultimately and finally about the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth the first time, he said he did not come to bring peace, but a sword, and that he has come to, listen, set a man against his father. Even families would be separated because of faith. And so Jesus, when Jesus came, it served to separate his followers. Those that obeyed him, those that didn't obey, those that followed him, those that didn't follow. But when he comes again, his coming will be marked by reconciliation to God through faith in the Messiah. The widespread and universal family of God will all be united together. So there they are, ten provisions, ten blessings that we can expect and anticipate from God while we wait for the big day. These are heaped up blessings for those who wait for his second coming. We're not yet in full possession of all of these things, but we are already enjoying the benefits of some of them. Indeed, we can make a case of all of them, especially the sweet fellowship we enjoy in the church and the availability and accessibility of God's word. But I just want to end with two supplemental questions that arise out of this text that we have to answer. One of those concerns how Malachi ends. He ends there, did you notice, on a warning of utter destruction. Interesting, actually, that Revelation ends the same way. Ecclesiastes ends the same way. Lamentations ends the same way. A number of these books uh, that were combined together end on a negative note. Chapter 3 ends on a note about us, same sort of thing, ends on a note about us seeing the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. 
So the question you might have is, how can I be sure that I am one of the righteous and not one of the wicked? How can I ensure that the day of the Lord is really great and awesome for me and not dreadful and awful? How can I know whether the heat of that day is more like a warm healing ointment than a scorching furnace that never goes out? Friend, the only answer to that is Jesus Christ. The only answer to that is Jesus Christ. Malachi was pointing his people to the one who is to come, God's next messenger, the Messiah. And he did indeed come, just as was promised. He came into the world, sent by God, for the express purpose of saving sinners from the just and righteous wrath of God. Without Jesus Christ, we are all under God's wrath. So if you have not yet turned from your sin, do that today. Look to Christ, trust in Him, and you will be spared from His wrath. And not only that, you will become then His treasured possession. It really does go from rags to riches. Adopted into the family of God. And the final question is, since God has done all of this for us, what should I do while I wait for the big day? Well, besides serving him and serving one another and looking into his word, these last words of Malachi really press upon us the urgency of sharing this good news, don't they? I'm sure every one of us know people in our lives, maybe even in our families, who are in grave danger from a spiritual perspective. Might be successful by the world's evaluation, but the big day is coming. The good news is that we live during a day, a time of God's grace, when people can still turn to him. But the big day of judgment is coming. We know not when. could be today. could be tomorrow. might not be for a while. But after that, it's going to be too late. Let us who are saved from God's wrath Leverage this time to proclaim Christ, to proclaim all his excellencies. And I'll just end with Christmas is really a natural time to do that. Leverage this season for the gospel as you point others toward the Savior. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we do thank you for all your wonderful and rich and gracious provisions for us. You have given us literally everything we need for life and for godliness. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your people. We thank you for all these great and precious promises that you give us. Father, I do pray that you would press upon us the urgency of these words. Help us to truly be concerned for those that are still in the camp of the unrighteous, the ungodly, the wicked. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to share the good news of the gospel with them, especially during this season. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy 
and peace in believing, so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. Go in peace.